morning and I, I wasn't in that place of peace. This was, this was early. It was about six, I think. And um, I think I know now, like I, I feel like I have a pathway now back to peace. And, and I think my pathway is what you were talking about, Ben, um, being with me. You know, I think when I, um, uh, when I find myself in a place where I'm running from the truth of where I'm at and the emotions that I don't want to feel, I can lose my peace because Jesus is in the place where I truly am and he wants to offer all that he is to the place where I am. I think the song that we were singing before, um, I just want to be where you are. I just want to be near your heart. You know, I think that, um, you know, for me that that's become the key, you know. Uh, I just want to be where you are. Well, where where he is is where I truly am. But if I run from where I truly am, then I think that's a surefire way to lose my peace. And so this morning I had to find my way back to the place where I truly was because we can't offer who we truly are to Jesus if we're, if we're running from it, if we're ignoring it and not acknowledging it. So, yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, I feel like that's where, where I've been as well. So, um, <clears throat> Brad and Curtis are not here. Oh, that's a good thing. All right. We're getting some woos in the room. That's, that's unkind. Um, no, I, I, found it, I found it hard to be excited for them because I'm, I, I was jealous at first, but um, I'm sure they're having a great time. Uh, and and I, am, I am excited for them. Whenever I have a history of seeing Brad go away and uh, I've learned to, you know, ask the right questions when he gets back, you know, like, what have, what have you learned? Come on, like, because I know that they're receiving right now. They're receiving, you know, something that's going to flow down and pour out. And so, um, yeah, I am excited for them. I'm excited to hear what God's teaching them and showing them. Um, <clears throat> I want to start with a question, and we can have a little bit of fun with this. This is not like a trick question or anything. Uh, the question is, is this, and, 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 you know, shout out, shout out the answer. The first thing that comes to mind, if God offered you anything you wanted, anything you asked for, what would you ask for? Don't hesitate. What did you say? Twins. I had to ask you to say it three times because I wasn't sure that's what you were saying, Crispy. Crispy would ask for twins. Okay. Ah, I love being one, so why not? No, that makes sense. Good one. I like that. Yeah, that's... A, that's Hard to top that answer already. Anyone else? What would you ask for? Not a trick question. Not looking for anything deeply spiritual or something deeply spiritual, if that's what you're going for. To remove all evil. To remove all evil from the world. Yep. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Anyone else? Communion. Communion. Yeah. In what sense, Marcy? What are you What are you suggesting? With the Father, you mean? Yeah. Communion with God. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Thank you. That's a very thoughtful answer. Yeah, I like it. Anyone else? It seems silly, but I think I'd ask for um, like the ability to worship. The ability to worship. Yeah, like I watched Ali this morning and it's, it's so beautiful to enter into a space of worship with Ali and Ben. Mm. And I would wish for that for our home. And we have that because of Ali, but I... You know, I can't just pick up a guitar and, you know, strum away and worship the Lord. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I find that when I come to a place of worship with him, I enter into this secret place and I just receive so much and mm. get to share such intimacy with the Father. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. 
that's beautiful. And it's beautiful that we can, you know, rely on each other, you know, the parts that we bring. And I rely heavily on the parts that both Ali and Hannah bring all the time, you know, during the weekend on Sundays. So, yeah, I greatly appreciate what you bring too, Hannah. Mm. Anyone else? A deeper understanding of the path yeah. that you're on, that you, yeah. that will be ahead. Yeah. yeah. And maybe a new car. A new car. <laughs> Do you know what? I was expecting all of these uh, your surface answers, but, but you, go, you guys have actually gone quite deep. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking about, I was thinking about, you know, like, um, what, this question, what would I ask God for if, if he would grant me anything? And I think, you know, the things that I think we, we would often ask for would be the things that we would feel would benefit us or satisfy us, um, you know, in, in, in the way that we could see that they would best. And um, I, think it was, I think it was maybe last week I mentioned before I headed out to the kids, you know, the disciples um, offering Jesus some food after he'd been ministering and not eating for a long time. And Jesus said, you know, I have food that you don't know about my, um, you know, I'm satisfied in doing the Father's, in doing the Father's will. I wanted to roll with that a little bit, but I want to add to it a little bit this morning. <clears throat> I want to read from Matthew 20. This is 20 to 34. And it says, and, and so this is, um, this is Jesus, the mother of Jesus' disciples approaching him. It says, then Salome the mother of Zebedee's children, James and John, came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down in respect, asked a favour of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She answered him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit in positions of honour and authority, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus replied, you do not realise what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? They answered, and, and in this part, I, for some reason, I imagine this part being quite comical, like the mother has brought the two boys to Jesus and she's sort of driving this and then Jesus turns to the boys and asks them a question and they look past Jesus. This is what happens in my mind. They look past Jesus and their mother's got the thumbs up saying yes and so they look back at Jesus. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's, that's what they say. They answered, we are able. He said to them, <clears throat> you will drink my cup of suffering, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the, so they got, a, they got a loving no in response to their mother's request for them. But they were on board. They were definitely on board. And when the other 10 heard this, they were resentful and angry with the two brothers. That's fair enough. It looks like they've just tried to put themselves up on a, a podium and, and push ahead of the others in the line. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles have absolute power and lord it over them. It is, not, it, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your willing and humble slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, paying the price to set them free from the penalty of sin. There's a lot in that, and, and usually... Uh, Usually I think we wouldn't connect this next part. I'm going to read on. Um, it says, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting on, by the road. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, Messiah. The crowd sternly told them, Be quiet. 
But they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them and asked, What do you want me to do for you? They answered him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him as disciples. So they regained their sight. So they had lost their sight, sight that they had had previously they no longer had. Uh, I'm going I'm to propose that I think, I think these two stories are actually meant to be read together. So what we have in the first part is uh, a self-seeking, self-indulgent motivation to a question, okay? And um, their mother, James and John, come to Jesus and they ask him, hey, um, we, we want a position of power and of honour, okay? So they're seeking something of, for themselves. And then in the second story, we find two men yelling out for mercy, asking something from a low position and Jesus recognising that they're recognising their need for him. He grants their wish. And so um, we see a contrast there. I'm going to suggest that, you know, like it's it's easy for us to just read the story and think, yeah, they're not connected. But, you know, there's there's one way of approaching God, Jesus, and then there's a complete opposite way. One, One received a loving no, and um, the other received what they were asking for. And it would be easy to uh, read the second part, the story of the blind men, and just think, yeah, well, this is a great example of Jesus' power. That's fantastic. And we can be encouraged by that. But I think as I was reading it, I think I just recognised my need to see myself as um, the one who needed mercy and take that position. Um, you know, like we are, we are the blind ones who need our eyes open. We are those who were blind but now see. And it becomes obvious that taking this position, it moves the heart of the Father. You know, it says that in there that um, Jesus uh, looked at them with compassion and they received what they asked for. And um, I think this is a great lesson for us. If we, um, if we desire honour, or a position of honour and authority, and we are striving for that place in the world, we'll receive a loving no, and that's to our benefit. When we approach Jesus from a lowly position, asking for mercy, recognising our place, um, and that that actually our, our place is to lift him up and worship him and raise him up um, and hallow the Father's name um, and ask for what we need to um, continue in, in the good works that he's prepared for us, then um, he grants our wishes and we are satisfied, just as um, Jesus was um, sharing with his disciples um, when they tried to offer him food. Now, I think it's also interesting in the story um, that uh, these these two groups of people, James and John, and the two blind men, there's two, two in each, they were both influenced by the people around them. James and John were influenced by their mother and the crowd um, tried to influence the blind men. And I just think about what would have happened to the blind men if they had allowed themselves to be influenced by those around them. Have mercy on us, son of David. Be quiet. Oh, okay. Well, they wouldn't have received their sight. Their eyes wouldn't have been open. You know, it took them a few goes, two, three goes, before Jesus said, hey, what, what do you wish? And, you know they approached him from a humble place asking for mercy. <clears throat> Excuse me, asking for him. I was thinking about that and I thought, hey, you know, like, we are so influenced 
by the world. Or at least we have, the, the world has great opportunity to influence us, at least. You know, think about the progression of technology in the world and um, advertising and marketing and you know, the, uh, the understanding that we have in advertising and marketing to influence people's actions has become a science and we have these devices in front of us that um, tell us what we need and what we should want. And, you know, b back in the day, y you'd have to have a conversation, maybe read a book, you know, maybe there's billboards, maybe in the retail precinct, you know, you could be influenced on a level that you wouldn't be otherwise. But now uh, I, I have a device and, and I can scroll boom, 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 boom. Like I can scroll that fast and I can pick up and receive message upon message, you know, being influenced by the world. I can be yelling out, have mercy on me, son of David. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. This is what you need. This is what you want. This is what you should be asking for. This is how you do it. And the influence of the world is so accessible. The world has a great opportunity to influence us these days. Yeah. And so it's almost like um, what that produces in us or in me, I've noticed, is that it's almost, um, it almost feels irresponsible or greatly against the grain um, to live in a way other than the world is suggesting. And it's almost like we need courage to reject the voice of the world. You know, it would have taken courage for the blind men on the road. Have mercy on us, son of David. Be quiet, the crowd says. Well, what are we going to do? Have mercy on us, son of David. They kept going and kept going. And it feels like we need, it feels like we need per permission almost to take courage to reject what the world would say and live differently. And so I was thinking about this and praying about this. I, I was really encouraged by the story um, and I saw myself in the, you know, in, in the need to have, take the position of the blind men. And I can see myself also in James and John's shoes, seeking um, honour and authority to, you know, sit on Jesus' right and left. And I saw the, the different response that Jesus um, gave to the, you know, the two groups. And, and we, can, we can learn from that. But I think I recognised something within myself. Um, I recognised that it's a risk, that I'd have to take a risk to push back against the crowd and to keep calling his name and to, to be the one, excuse me, to recognise myself as the one um, who really requires mercy, who really needs my eyes to be opened. Yeah. Um, and I felt like God gave me, it's, it's a really simple truth, but he, he just said to me, you know, it's okay to, just to serve. It's okay to serve. Yeah, that's what we read. Jesus, Jesus decided, hey, this is a teaching moment. James and John have come and asked a question. The rest of the disciples are indignant. Um, they don't like what James and John have asked because they've tried to promote themselves above the rest of the group. And so um, Jesus, Jesus says, hey, you know, if you want to be great, be a servant. And it's almost like in this, in this world that's really difficult to take hold of because of all the messages that are promoted to us. Boom, boom, boom. Be quiet, be quiet. Boom, boom, boom. Have mercy on me, son of David. You know, I am the one that needs mercy. 
I'm the one that, like, this is what you were talking about, Ben. On any given day, I, I need to regain my sight. You know, it says in the story they, they regain their sight. So they were men who once had their sight and had lost it. And when I wake up at 6 a.m. and I think, oh, something's hassling me. I've lost my peace. It's like, I can't see. Like, what is this darkness? And, and that can happen during the day. That can ha- but, but, I, but for me, personally, I have come to um, understand that peace is a really good meter. It's a really good metric. It's a really good understanding of where I am. And I recognize that when I lose that peace, I've found myself uh, in a place where I can't see. Because if I could see, if I could really see, fear wouldn't rule. And so that's what we see. Um, that's what we see when two men come to Jesus humbly, recognizing their inability to see and ask for their sight, to regain their sight. And we have the same opportunity any day, any time that we lose our peace. Yeah. You know, I think if we, um, I think if we didn't ever have sight, we possibly wouldn't know what we were missing out on. But I think it's disorienting having had sight and then losing it. And so, yeah, I think for me, I've just become super encouraged that in those moments, hey, I can take a position, a lowly position, not, not the position that James and John were seeking, you know, to be on Jesus' right and left, power and authority. And, uh, yeah, I think what, what results is a heart of gratitude. You know, when I, when I take that position, what I'm doing is remembering what's been done for me. So, so James and John were trying to receive something, you know, and their mindset was, I don't have what I need. I'm in, I'm in lack. I'm going to try and get what I want, take what I want and what I need for myself. But when I take a position of um, a lowly position of recognizing that I am the one who needs mercy, my mind focuses on what I've received in order to have received that mercy in what Jesus has done. And then in that place, my eyes are opened. And it says, it says that the blind men, um, their mind will open and they follow Jesus as his disciples. And that's what we're called to, to have our eyes open, to follow him as, as disciples and live as he lived. You know, he, served, he came to serve and not be served. Um, there's, a, there's a part in the Bible, it's in Matthew 5, it's called the Sermon on the Mount and the, it's... Um, it's really well known. I saw a, a author that I know had written a book just on um, the very first part of that. So I think it's Matthew 5, 6 and 7 goes for three chapters. And um, he, he wrote a book on just the first um, part of the first chapter, which is called um, The Beatitudes. And basically Jesus is running through, uh, you know, the, the qualities that people have. Um, uh, and he says... Those that, those that have these qualities, um, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so, yeah, basically the, the backstory is that Jesus um, has, uh, he's begun his ministry. Um, he's, he's begun to preach. He collects his disciples. And, and this, is, this is really sort of the first time that we get a sense of Jesus' teaching. And it's probably one of the most well-known, most significant parts of the Gospels. And I want to read to you, you know, in Scripture, there's a real significance to the first part of something. So this is the first part of one of the most well-known Jesus's first teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I, I just want to read you the, the very first part, which is the Beatitudes, and the very first two parts of that. So um, just to sort of give you some background, these are 
These are significant words is what I'm trying to say. So this is Matthew 5, 1 to 4. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired, are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace, are those who mourn over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. This is what Jesus wanted to get off his chest first. And I thought about that. I thought, do we count ourselves as insignificant? Or are we trying to honour ourselves like James and John? And then I thought, well, how do, you know, that's number one. And, and then number two, how do I mourn my sin? And I started thinking, well, you know, in order to mourn my sin, I have to acknowledge it first. I have to see it. I have to understand that it's there. And then I, when I do that, I recognise that I have no way of overcoming it. I have no way of overcoming my sin. I don't have the power or the strength myself. And so I find myself in this place of weakness and that I need him and that I need him to open my eyes. And so, um, you know, in a moment at 6am when I've lost my peace and I recognise that something's out, something's not right, this, is, this again is the position that I need to take. One who is weak, one who doesn't have the power to overcome sin, I need him. I just want to throw another scripture at you. This is um, 2 Chronicles 1, 6 to 12. Now, this, is, this is why we started with that question, you know, like if, if you could ask anything of God and he would grant it to you, what would you ask for? So it says, um, and, and by the way, David's just died and his son is about to take the throne. This is in Chronicles. And so we have a young king just about to take the crown. It says this, and Solomon, this is after he's just taken the crown, it says, and Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord at the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. A thousand, a thousand burnt offerings. That's extravagant. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I ask, what shall I give you? Then Solomon said to God, you have shown great loving kindness and mercy. It's a reminder, isn't it? Have mercy on me, son and David. You can see the posture that he's taking. You have shown great loving kindness and mercy to my father David and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge so that I may go out and come in performing my duties before this people. For otherwise, who can rule and administer justice to this great people of yours? God replied to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you did not ask for riches, possessions, or honour and personal glory, or cars, Ben, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself so that you may rule and administer justice to my people over whom I have made you king. Isn't it interesting that God agrees that he is the one who offers authority? And Jesus said in the, um, the previous scripture in Matthew that... Um, Actually, it's the father's decision who sits on his left and right. Well, God's agreeing. He says, I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor will those who will come after you. It's a reminder. Jesus, have mercy. 
Son of David, we're actually hearing from the Son of David. I, I was thinking about this scripture and I thought, how did Solomon come to this? How, did, how does he know this of God? And I thought, well, he had a pretty great dad. I think that's true. He was described as the man after God's own heart. And I started to imagine, you know, this is not written in scripture, but I started to imagine a dialogue between Solomon and David. And um, I, I have kids and thankfully they do love dad and they do look up to dad. And I think as they get older, they'll, they'll realise that dad's not perfect, but, you know, just for now, it's kind of nice. Um, but young, young, kids, young kids do see their parents as heroes and I'm sure that was the case with Solomon. You imagine being David's son. There's a lot of stories about your dad. You know, can, can you imagine you know, Solomon saying to David, hey, dad, I heard that you killed lions and bears. And I, I imagine, based on Solomon's um, decision in his first act as king, I imagine David's response must have been, yeah, son, that's true, but it was only because of God's mercy and strength that he gave me that I was, <coughs> excuse me, that I was able to overcome them. Yeah, Daddy, Daddy, I heard you killed a giant. Yeah, I did, son, but it was only because of God's mercy. Yeah, he made the rock fly straight. Daddy, I heard you let a bad king live. Yeah, that's right, son. Because it was God who gave King Saul authority and I I am not God. And I wouldn't dare take that away. Yeah. Daddy, I heard you defeated lots of armies and that you were a great warrior. I can just imagine, yeah, the questions would just keep coming and David would just keep just keep pointing his son towards the glory of God. Oh, and so David, David passes away. <clears throat> you can imagine young Solomon. You can imagine him thinking to himself, yeah, I, I know what to do. And in, in his first act, he honours God with a thousand burnt offerings. I think I take courage from this story because it is um, unusual, uncommon in this life, in this world, that we would say no to the crowd and keep shouting, have mercy on me, son of David, that we would take that lowly position. And this is a great king, King Solomon, is taking that lowly position. Now we serve a God who said, um, seek first the kingdom, and all else will be added to you. And this is how he rolls. This was true for Solomon. This is true for us today. And I think, you know, what effect would it have on the people around me, my community, my work, the places that I am supposed to serve as Jesus served if I truly lived a life of sacrifice? You know, I start to think, oh, how am I going serving my family? Am I serving myself commonly? How do I deal with the influence of the world? You know, do I recognise when I need to regain sight? 
do I feel like it's true that I'm satisfied doing God's will? And what does, this, what does it mean that I'd have to give up? And then I think about my kids and I think, what would, I, what would we see in generations to come if we learned to serve as Jesus served? If we learned to take that lowly position, recognising that we don't have what it takes to overcome our sin, that it's only by his mercy that we could accomplish anything good. What would the future look like in future generations if we taught our kids that everything that we had done, just like David would have taught his son um, Solomon, what would life look like for them? Would we see incredible, extravagant lives lived in worship, recognising um, that it's our place to serve? Yeah. Anyway, I feel like these are, these are great questions for us to ponder today. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm just encouraging us all to consider where we're at. Hey, like how are we living? Do we, do we find ourselves in a position or looking for a position of power and authority? You know, I think we can really reach for things that we feel we need when we, when we feel like we're missing something, when we feel like we have lack, when we don't have what we need. It's like what we were talking about um, before. You know, when we're in a place where we're trying to escape the true current reality that might feel like death to us, we need to recognise that death is actually separation from the Father. But the Father wants to come and be with us where we are. He wants to remind us of who he is truly and who we are truly. And when we see that and we understand that, when we have courage to face the true um, state, in which our heart is right now, today, in this place. And don't feel the need to pretend, to wear a mask, to put on a show, to show people around us that, you know, we're, we're, we're good, we're okay. When the truth of the matter is, we might be drowning. Our eyes might be closed. We might need to regain our sight. Today's our opportunity to consider the true place that we find ourselves and, um, and offer that to God. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to take a time to chat about um, this idea of what it is to, to serve and to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to serve as he served. And we'll consider, um, yeah, King, King Solomon's example of extravagant worship. Can we do that today? Is that something we'd like to talk about? Yeah? Okay, cool. Let's break up into groups, maybe groups of fours, fives today. You can see...